Recovery Elevator, episode 239. And so that's that felt really good to have that conversation. And that was definitely a, here we go, this is, this is going to be happening now. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Dan. He's 37 years old. He's from Cottage Grove, Minnesota, and he took his last drink of alcohol 370 days ago. In his interview, he talks about how his drinking progressed as a gradual crescendo. I know that was the case for me. Dan is a huge heart, and it's a fantastic interview. You guys are going to love it. Join me on an alcohol-free trip to Thailand and Cambodia this upcoming January 20th to the 31st, 2020, or when it's freezing cold in the United States. On this 12-day trip, we fly into Bangkok, check out this incredible city, and then head north to the jungles of Thailand, where we will be visiting a place called Elephant World and a beautiful national park. We then make our way into Cambodia, where we check out Angkor Wat and some of the world's most impressive archaeological sites. This trip is going to be fun! We've got powerful recovery workshops built in, and you're going to meet others who prioritize exploring and seeing sites over drinking. Go to recoveryelevator.com for the full itinerary and details. Space is limited. Alcohol is shit. The book is now out. Pick up your copy on Amazon today in paperback or on Kindle. Okay, let's get started. I have good news for you. No, no, no. Wait a second. I've got great news for you all. This should be, and if I can deliver this message properly, a huge relief for many. All right, here we go. On this journey into your new life without alcohol, stepping into the best version of you can be fun. In fact, hang on, it has to be fun. It has to be filled with unequivocal self-compassion and 100% acceptance of where you're currently at. Before we go any further, let me address the ginormous elephant in the room, which is some of you saying, wait a second, Paul, there seems to be a scarcity of fun right now in my life. And if I could think of one word to describe this transition, I'd use the word unfun. If you're not whistling in the morning shower and high-fiving everyone on the way to work in the morning, that's completely fine. Like I cover in episode 233, it's also totally fine and acceptable to struggle on this journey. And if you're not having fun right now, don't worry about it. But eventually, this has to be fun. I mean, it actually has to be fun. The point I'd like to make today isn't that you're doing something wrong if it's not all six flags and stand-up paddleboards because you're not doing anything wrong. But the point I do want to make is that recovering your true self, a life filled with inner joy and abundance, can only be done with, wait for it, yep, I gotta go here, you ready for it, uh-huh, love. It's the only way. And let's take a look at some real-life examples. Martin Luther King Jr. recognized the same. He said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. You can't fight darkness with darkness. This is one of the most profound and true universal laws of all time. And how's the $40 trillion war on drugs going? In 1980, there were 40,900 people incarcerated for drug offenses. By 2013, this number increased to 489,000. 
About half of prison and jail inmates meet the DSM-4, one of the most dangerous books of all time, criteria for substance abuse and addiction. How's the incarcerating addictions out of people strategy working out? It's not, and it's basically been $40 trillion down the tubes. It's fighting darkness with darkness. How's the war on terror going? Same thing. How about the war on poverty? So anytime you hear a politician or prominent figure announce a war on anything, it's already doomed to fail. If there's a raging fire, you can't put it out with a flamethrower. The best way to extinguish a fire is perhaps with the most loving, supportive, nurturing substances on the planet. Water. Deep down, your body and mind knows that quitting drinking must be accompanied with the following words. Peace, contentment, relaxation, purity, trust, thoughtfulness, serenity, gratitude, acceptance, creativity, hope, third eye blind, optimism, fascination, energy, joy, worth, value, happiness, and love, to name a few. Now here are some words that aren't part of the toolkit. Anger, resentment, jealousy, inferiority, remorse, guilt, shame, boredom, loneliness, hostility, selfishness, skepticism, frustration, disconnection, rejection, and hate, to name a few. Again, if you're feeling some of these, or all of these at this very moment, don't worry. That's fine. Just be aware of it, and within time, we'll start swapping out these words with the ones I previously mentioned. Now here are some strategies to lighten up and invite love into your life, and maybe even some fun. Comparison is the thief of all coconuts. No, 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 that's not it. Uh, joy. Yep, that's it. You do you and focus only on that. Get off social media if you have to. Make a point to tell yourself, nice job, like 50 times a day. Tell yourself, I love you, another 50 times a day, especially right when you wake up and right before you go to bed, regardless of how you feel. Massage. Give yourself a massage, and during the massage, tell yourself how much you deserve this wonderful gift. Start to question the inner voice. If it says, you idiot, or you're never going to get this, or you're not worth it, just say, whoa, wait a second, I'm not okay with that inner dialogue, and be sure not to double down, like don't get mad at yourself for having that inner dialogue that isn't conducive, just be aware of it. Give yourself permission, permission to feel bad, permission to feel good, permission to stay in on a Friday night and be alone. Open the photo album and find your favorite baby photos. That serene, angelic person is still there. They never went away. Oh yeah, and change the screensaver on your phone to your favorite baby picture and make a conscious effort to tell that person you love them every time you unlock your smartphone, which should be about a hundred times a day. Let the past die hard and fast. Like Golden Girls, Family Ties, and Alf, it's over. It's done. And let it be done. So fill in the blank. I've always wanted to fill in the blank. I've always wanted to travel to fill in the blank. So then do it. Throw me under the bus. Tell your boss it was the podcast host who convinced you it was time to check out Iceland or Greece. Listen to the body when you're around people. You'll know who to spend more time with and who to spend less time with. Before taking a drink of water, tell yourself you're doing it because you want to fuel and nourish your beautiful body. Put on headphones and dance. You go and move. When you're feeling like dog doo-doo, tell yourself you're doing it perfectly because you are.
So this is a huge concept, right up there with accountability, burning the ships, and community. We address the self-loathing, and this journey gets fun. The good news is this is where we have to go. I've yet to meet someone who has been successful in an alcohol-free life that hasn't addressed the self-loathing. I know I had to. Okay, I hope you enjoyed my segment. Before we hear from Dan, let's hear from Cafe RE. The three most important lessons I've learned while quitting drinking are, we can't do this alone, we need accountability, and a supportive community is key. In the private unsearchable Facebook groups Cafe RE, you're going to get all three and much more. What does private mean? Well, these groups are unsearchable on Facebook. Who's in the group and what is said can only be seen by members. You get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to ditch the booze. These groups are capped at under 350 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking doesn't have to suck. In fact, it can be a lot of fun. For $19 a month, you too can join the conversation, be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, online meetups, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and much more. Oh yeah, you'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I hope to see you there. Dan, how are you? I'm doing great, Paul. Thanks for asking. Yeah, sweet. I'm glad to have you on the podcast. Dan, let's get right into this. When was your last drink? Uh, well, my last drink, according to my uh, Recovery Elevator app here, was 370 days ago, so just over a year. 370 days ago. Yeah, Dan hit his one-year mark on July 28th. And sometimes listeners use me as their unofficial or official accountability partner. And I get emails all the time. And listeners, I apologize if you email me and, and, I don't, and I don't respond. I just want you to know I read most of them. But as the, as the podcast grows, I, I can't get back to everybody. Let me tell you what I got. So August 18th, 2018, I get an email from Dan that says, Hey, Paul, I just want to take a moment to say thank you for your podcast. I'm approaching my one-month mark, and Recovery Elevator has been a part of the journey. January 28th, 2019, I get an email from Dan. says, Hey, Paul, six months of sobriety today. Thank you so much, Paul, for Recovery Elevator. It's been a part of the journey. Um, and I don't remember if I responded to either of the two. And then July 28th, I get an email that says, hey, Paul, just hit my one-year mark. And I go, yeah, I, I've got a couple emails from this guy. I'm just going to throw it out. Let's get him on the podcast. Welcome, Dan. How does it feel with one year of sobriety? One year feels feels awesome. You know, I didn't really know what it was going to be like. You know, that first month, that first week, you're really just kind of trying to get through. And one year seems like just so far away. And now it just, you know, it just feels good. It like almost it, it came like just another day. You know, I woke up and I was like, yeah, it's one year. And everyone's like, yeah. And then I just went about my business, just the normal everyday stuff. And then I reached out to you because like, uh, like I said, you've been your recovery elevator podcast has been a part of my journey for sure. And so I, I believe in gratitude. And I just wanted to say thank you. Not expecting an interview. So this is pretty cool to be <laughs> to be here doing it right now. Well, for the whole recovery elevator project to work, it takes two two things: the the podcaster and the listener. So, thank you. Without you guys, it doesn't happen. Now, quick question before we dive into your background and your story: you said you know we quit drinking. I didn't know what it was going to be like, but what did you think it was going to be like? You know, I was hoping <laughs> that it would be 
like just a, a complete change in my whole life. You know, I was hoping that, you know, I'd quit and that next day would just be like, boom, everything is great. All my problems would wash away and I would just be this new person. And really, it's kind of been like that, except for like the overnight part of it. It's just taken a lot of work. And it's one of those things when you look back on it, you're like, oh, my gosh, this really has become, you know, just this huge journey. And I'm such a better person now if I actually name all the things that I've done over the last year that I would have wasted to, to drinking. I just feel like this new person, but it, you have to like reflect on it to actually make it kind of add up to like, wow, it happened. The thing happened. So you got to reflect overall and just it doesn't happen fast. Yeah, I totally agree. And there's a good and bad with that. And so when I first quit drinking, right, I, I anticipated the same thing. There was the pink cloud that showed up, but it doesn't happen overnight. This is correct. And what I have found that it doesn't stop improving. It doesn't stop getting better, which is fantastic, but it takes nice. time. And, and the addiction took a long time to take hold, to take effect. And it, what I found, it's almost taken the equal amount of time for it, for the reverse to happen, which is beautiful because I, I don't want it to ever stop, right? There is no top of the mountain and that's a good thing, Dan. I'm always deepening with the joy that I'm feeling. Yeah. I love how you said that. And Dan, there's give, no top of the mountain. I like that. Yeah, there's no the, top. Thank you. That's encouraging because, you know, now you hit a year and it's like, was that it? You know, so it's just uh, more encouragement to continue on this path. Yeah. And that's an empowering statement. It's not like, oh, my God, there's no top of the mountain. This is a good thing because just for a second, imagine if you were on the top of the mountain, then what? In fact, right. I was at a conference in Boise, Idaho, where I heard Mark Manson speak. He's the author of uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Have you, have you, are you familiar with that book? <laughs> no, but I have to yeah. check that out. And, and basically, like, he hit a home run, right? This book has been, it was on the top 20 bestseller list for like 130 straight weeks, which was a record. His whole career, his entire life, he wanted to write a book like this. And a book like this comes out once, once a decade. And he talks about how he fell into the deepest depression of his life immediately after the book came out. So he, he hits this home run. He, he, he hits the top of his mountain, which he has described in his mind for his entire life. He plays Legend of Zelda for about a month straight. And he's like, this is great. And after that month, he's like, wait, what next? I'm on the top of the mountain. And right. you would think you would say like, well, Mark, dude, just like, like who gives a fuck, right? That's what's your book. Yeah. And, and how he got out of the depression, he wrote himself out of the depression. And he talks about just that. He's like, look, there is no top of the mountain. You don't want to be on the top of the mountain. And it's kind of the same thing on this journey. We don't want to have a top of the mountain. We don't. We always want to deepen with the joy, explore more concepts, uncover more blind spots. And it's a fascinating journey. So, Dan, give listeners a little background about yourself, where you're from what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun? All right, well, I'm 37. I grew up in Winona, Minnesota, and now I live in Cottage Grove, Minnesota. I am a teacher. I've been teaching for 15 years or so. What, what, do, you, what do you teach? I teach uh, middle school math, and now I have three kids. I have twins that are five, boy-girl twins that are five years old, and then I have a 10-year-old daughter who will just be starting fifth grade. I'm married. I've been married for 13 years last week to my wonderful wife. And um, yeah, I can, I can, I just, uh, I can say life is good right now. Good stuff. How about what do you like to do for fun? I like to exercise. It's always been a part of, of me. I like hiking. We're, uh, I have some friends that uh, we're doing the Superior Hiking Trail, which is a 300 mile hiking trail in northern Minnesota along Lake Superior. So our goal is to get the whole thing done uh, by next summer. So we're about 183 miles done with that. 
Um, so hiking, exercising, being outdoors, reading movies, all that. Good stuff. Well, Dan, I'm excited to jump into your story. Give listeners a background about your drinking. Talk about how much you used to drink. Did you ever put any rules into place or what rules you put into place? When did you realize that alcohol was no longer serving you and it was perhaps being, it was perhaps a problem? Did you have a rock bottom moment? I'm excited to hear about it. Right. So, I mean, my story is, you know, not, not overly exciting. It was just a kind of a gradual crescendo into just the norm for me. My first drink was in high school, box of wine in the refrigerator, so my mom wouldn't notice. I bartended through college. It was really fun. I partied and hung out uh, with friends, and then that just kind of carried out into my, what I'll call my adult life. You know, I, I met my wife in college, and then we kind of progressed into our real-world uh, jobs, and the drinking just kind of stuck with me. It didn't get so much into binge drinking, per se. It was more like just an every night thing. I'd get home from work and I'd have to pop a couple beers to really kind of feel relaxed and get myself back into, uh, you know, like a relaxed state or feel like myself. And it just, it was years and years of just every night, you know, two to four beers, strong beers. I got into craft beer and stuff like that every single night. So then on the weekends, I feel like I was catching up because of the week I didn't want to drink a lot because I still had a job and I and I was good at my or I am good at my job and I wanted to you know keep that going. I didn't want to be hungover at work. I was very responsible in that sense of it. I never drank and I was never drinking and driving. I I, I was good about that. Quick right. question: You said years and years of drinking. You got into the craft brewery thing, as a lot of people Absol do. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you got to. Were there ever some nights off? No. And that was like the problem. Like even like I could probably count them on one hand how many nights were off. Like we had a, I ran this Ragnar relay race, which was like an overnight race. And I couldn't drink that night. And that even like caused me like some anxiety, like, oh my oh. gosh, I can't drink, you know? Like How long ago was that? That was probably two years ago. So about two years ago. And so you're having a couple of beers a night for maybe a decade or so straight. Uh, does that sound about right? Yeah, that sounds right. Okay, okay. And binge Fair drinking. To say. No, yeah. that's, that's fine, man. There's no judgment here on this podcast. And right. uh, so binge drinking, not really the thing, not really an issue. And you have a Ragnar race. And was that one of the first times you're like, wait a second, I've got to take tonight off? Yeah, that that that's the first one that really comes to memory because, I mean, it caused some anxiety knowing like if I had something that was going to like nine o'clock, I'm like, how am I going to fit my beers in? I can't drink until nine, you know, that kind of thing. So like... I knew then that it was kind of an, that it was an issue. I knew that I had some dependency upon it because I was like, gosh, it's giving me anxiety knowing that I, you know, I can only have one or two beers before bed tonight because it's going to be late or I got the Ragnar relay. How am I going to drink during that? That's not going to work. Were there so, any indications before the race? Yeah. I mean, I obviously, I, I thought about it. I'm, 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 I'm a planner. I'm very concrete sequential. And so like along the way, I'm like, oh my gosh. And I thought it'd be good. I'm like, that's good. You know, maybe I can start a thing where I'm not going to drink. And that lasted zero time because you finished <laughs> the race and there's beers at the end of the race, you know? So I don't know. I, I, I had some, some anxiety going towards it and knowing that I wasn't gonna be able to drink, but you know, it, it came and passed. Exercise helps. Sure. So you do the Ragnar race. You, you, mm -hmm. Did you actually go that night without drinking? Yes. Okay. Yeah, went the night without drinking. Gotcha. And I actually went the night before without drinking too, which was odd because we were at a bar and grill, but I was a driver of six people. 
and I'm usually I'm very responsible when it comes to drinking and driving. I never did any of that. But um, we got pulled over on the way um, back to our hotel, which thank gosh I wasn't drinking because yeah. I was you know going like five over the speed limit with uh, two coolers on the back of the van because they're filled with Gatorades and waters for the race. Sure. So a cop pulled me over, and I was very thankful then that I hadn't been drinking. Gotcha. Well, we'll fill us in after the Ragnar race. So I probably went another year after that of just the same old thing. And that's when I started to get um, really quite depressed. I've always had some depression, but it really started to kind of build and become very noticeable. I had some suicidal thoughts. I never would act on it, but I but I definitely had some thoughts of just, you know, just ending it and getting myself into this t- daily twist of drinking and drinking coffee, going to work, drinking, going to coffee, you know, it just was like an endless thing. And I just kind of kept having this idea of just ending it all. Well, let's go into that depression a little bit. What did that feel like? And did you reach a moment where you're depressed? And of course, the mind is going to try to solve it. Well, how can I stop this? Uh, We'll have a couple beers and that solves it. Did you ever fall into that? Yeah, I mean, I found my depression just came into I, I really realized it when I just I was finding no joy in anything, um, including alcohol, like it was just Ooh. this complete lack of joy for anything that I did. Alcohol helped a little bit at first, but then it was a greater cause afterwards, because then the next day I'm not feeling great. And I wanted to go out on a hike or a walk or exercise or be with my family. And then I'm feeling like garbage. So then it's causing me more depression. And I'm not finding the joy there. And so it was just this that's how I can describe it. It's a complete lack of joy in any activity or any person. My job, my my family, it was just it just it was just blank. It was I didn't have any happiness. Gotcha. And it sounds like was was the depression what led you to stop drinking? Yeah, that was definitely a part of it. I had kind of confided into a really good friend who doesn't drink. He's never drank. His dad was an alcoholic and he just kind of made that commitment to I'm I'm not gonna drink. And we were on the Spear Hiking Trail, it's one of my hiking buddies, and we were waiting for this ride for like two and a half hours, and it was pouring rain, and we had nothing to do but to walk up and down the road, and I kind of confided into him, and I just was like, man, I'm so depressed all the time, I think I have a drinking problem. If I were to quit drinking, I think I need to like seek medical help for my depression, because I think the because I told him, I think something needs to take the place of the alcohol, something healthy needs to take the place of the alcohol, my crutch. And so he really got on board with that. It took me another year to actually follow through with that, <laughs> but we all, we talked about it. So I think that right there was probably the first um, thing that kind of started this journey was me talking to him about it. And a little commentary on that moment, how I see it. It's raining. There's two hours to kill. You're walking up and down a road. You confide in a friend. You burn some ships. You can't unhave that conversation with your friend. And I know that's a similar trajectory. It was myself in May of 2014 when I burned some serious ships, had a similar conversation with my parents and my brother. That's when the wheels started going. Nice job on that. And how did it feel after that conversation or during that conversation? During it, it felt, I don't know, it was, it was scary because like you said, I think you called it burning ships. It was like, well, there's no going back on this. You know, he he knows now. Like, I felt like I was kind of exposed, like this nerve that I kept hidden. Because with my drinking, no one really ever told me I had a problem. You know, I, I knew that I had a dependency, and it, but I wasn't breaking any major rules. I wasn't getting pulled over. I wasn't affecting my job. No one really said, hey, this is an issue. But then once I kind of outed myself as it's more than that, it's there's stuff going on with me. It was it was pretty scary. 
and it felt good. I mean, there's like this relief. The time that I finally like came out and told my wife about it, that's when it really was like starting to feel good. I just kind of gave in. You talk about that sometimes on your on your podcast, where it's just like this relief of just I surrendered. Yeah. I just I gave into it and I said this is this has got to stop and I need some help and I can't do this alone. Yeah, it's like you let it spill out. You give that energy in your body permission to just flow out and it feels so good. So when did you tell your wife and what happened after that? I told my wife, I actually kind of made the commitment last summer to stop drinking. Um, and then I told her probably a week in or so, like I tried to start on my own. I found your podcast, my rituals. I listen to it every morning and she overheard the podcast. And then I kind of, <laughs> she's like, well, what are you listening to? And I said, well, this is recovery podcast about people with drinking problems. And she's like, well, do you think you have a drinking problem? What? And then I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, she wasn't overly surprised, but I mean, like, I was, she just never, you know, she's, she's so kind and loving and she's just, you know, supportive of whatever I did. And so she was very supportive of it. I kind of told her, you know, that I'd been drinking every day. I told her then, that's when I told her about my depression, how I had suicidal thoughts. And I didn't want to like scare her with that, you know, but I never told her about that. And I, you know, I didn't want her to think that she was a cause of any of this. Like the, my family was a cause of it because it's not, it's all me. And so that's, that felt really good to have that conversation. And that was definitely a, here we go. This is, this is going to be happening now. And so July 28th is your, your, your alcohol free date. When did you start this? Well, I started it two weeks prior to July 28th. I, I started it. I kind of told my wife about it. There was like six Surly Furious beers in my refrigerator <laughs> um, down in the basement. And I had a weak moment and I drank all six of them and I felt like complete garbage. And so that was the actual restart date. So oh. I got two weeks before, okay. fell off like immediately and then, or like two weeks in. And then I finally carried on till now. But I kind of needed that. Like I needed to stumble to realize like, I don't want that. Why did I do that? Totally, totally. And and the word we hear in recovery is relapse. I, I would like to soften yeah. that and call it field research because yeah. I had <laughs> to do, yeah, I mean, I, I had, just like you said, kind of needed that stumble. Like you kind of need to do that field research to fully reinforce the internal declaration, the intention to move forward in life with alcohol. Some of us do more field research than others. <laughs> I had uh, hundreds of those nights where I stumbled, which is totally fine, right? Completely yeah. fine. If we do field research, we have to love ourselves unconditionally. That's a fact. There's no way um, to do it otherwise. And so you have one night, six beers, not a problem, some field research. Get back on it on July mm -hmm. 28th. Talk yep. to us about that day, the next day. Talk to us about the first week, the first month. The next day was cool. It was uh, our anniversary, my wife, my anniversary, and we always share a bottle of champagne on our anniversary. Wait, wait, wait. Your sobriety date's your anniversary date? There's Come on. You're... It's the day before. Oh, the, the day before. Okay. Just lump it all together. Nice job, Dan. Yeah. 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 I like to remember everything. You know, if we could just get it all together, celebrate all the dates at once. So we, we usually share a bottle of champagne on our anniversary, but we change it to sparkling cider or whatever, you know, like the, the grape stuff, which was actually very tasty. And she's cool with that, right? Uh, she, my wife is so cool. Of course she's uh, cool. She, yeah, she, she was good with it. She is fine. And she supported me. The, the biggest thing that first week, that first month was just kind of sticking with the program of, I had to replace the alcohol with something. So I made a doctor appointment to go and talk about my depression. So I strategically did that a few weeks out of it so that I knew that I could kind of be free and clear of, of any alcohol dependency and stuff like that. Hopefully. Did you tell the doctor about the drinking? 
that's like the first time that I actually was honest with the doctor nice and just kind job. of went all you know, you go to the doctor as as a person who drinks like every night and you're like, Yeah, I have like a couple a week or whatever. And so finally with this doctor I just said, I have a drinking problem, or I had a drinking problem or I have one and part of it is this I told, talked about the depression with the doctor and that I was drinking because of depression. I told him about my suicidal thoughts. I I, I basically laid it all out for him. And so he prescribed me with an antidepressant and anxiety medication that's that's really been very helpful. I was worried that I wouldn't be myself after taking this medication. Um, that was my big thing. Like, am I just going to turn into a zombie? And, but it really helped. I feel like more myself than I did um, prior to it. It's like the, the me that I want to be. So anyway, yeah, I came out with the doctor. Every day I'd listen to your podcast to start the day. That was kind of my accountability group. If I was ever having a craving, I just kind of expressed it to my wife. I'm like, man, I could really have a beer right now, or this kind of sucks. And she's like, yeah, but you're doing great. You know, and she just kind of was my cheerleader along the way. My oldest daughter is old enough to understand some of it. And so I told her about the fact that I was going to quit drinking alcohol. Wow. So it's another. And what was her response? Nice job. She was very supportive of it. It was kind of funny because it kind of coincided like uh, about well, three months later when school started, she started like their drug and alcohol unit at school. And so she had all these questions for me about it. And she's like, so she was, she was, <laughs> dad, will you come speak to me. our class? <laughs> yeah. And I'm, like, nah, uh, I'm okay <laughs> on that one. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not. Maybe not today. Having her as my accountability partner was pretty awesome too. So, I mean, I just, the more people I told, I felt like the more invested I was going to be in this and it helped even more. So like, I, I wasn't really trying to hide anything. Um, I just kind of came out with it and just every day started the same way and just didn't drink that day. <laughs> Dan, I, I love this story. I, I do because recovery is confusing. There are so many pathways that all lead to the same spot. And right. oftentimes we overthink this process and here's what I'm hearing. You didn't overthink this process. I think within like a 13-month window here, you had that conversation with your friend when you're walking up and down the street waiting to be picked up. You let it out. You started the burning the ships. And then you had another even bigger burning the ships with your wife. And then you had to burn the ships with your doctor, then your daughter. And then the accountability builds each time we have these conversations. And my, yeah. my trajectory followed the exact same thing and many others. Nice job. Like it doesn't have to be that complicated. Just have these conversations. If you're right. these conversations are the most important tool that we can have to ditch to ditch the alcohol. And all these people are supportive and wise because they love you and they want you to be the best version of you. For some reason, and I'm gonna say thank you, stigma for this, we feel that when we tell people they're going to shame us or they're gonna say that's stupid. And if there is somebody out there that doesn't want you to be the best version of you, then ditch them. For me, it's been like 99.9% .9 of the people are like, hey, Paul, cool. I also want you to be the best version of you. How can I help? Right? Right. It's You're 100% correct. The, after the first couple of conversations, they were so supportive. You know, then there's my mom and then my sister and my brother and my uncles and everybody along the way. They were all just very cool and supportive. You know, my buddies naturally give you a hard time about it a little bit, you know. But in the end, you know, one of my really good friends that I was uh, one of my good drinking buddies, but he's also a good friend, not just a drinking buddy, I've realized. Like when he comes over now, he doesn't drink and he just knows that he kind of respects. And I always tell him, you can drink. It's not like I'm just going to grab your beer out of your hand and wrestle you for it. I'm like, it doesn't bother me anymore. And he's, no, 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 I'll support it. The support that you get from the people is just, it's, it's, it's overwhelming and it's wonderful and it just creates another accountability part. I feel like now if one of my friends or family saw me with the beer, they'd be like, what the hell are you doing? Totally. You know? 
Totally. Right. So that's just, that's great. That's that holds me to to my word and and what I need to do. I'd be telling myself, "What the hell am I doing?" You know, I I don't want to be back. I have nightmares of like accidentally drinking a beer or taking a shot or whatever. Those but, are the worst. Right. And, and like now I'm gonna start over. Oh my gosh, what am I doing? Yeah, <laughs> I've had a nightmare where I actually went, I drank, and then in the dream. I went on the podcast and was like, hey, guys, I got to tell you something. Imagine that relief when I woke up and I, and I didn't. I always read. worry that that's going to happen after following your podcast. I'm like, oh, man, he's going to come on. I hope he doesn't relapse. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like there was a shit ton of pressure. I'll tell you, to be honest, Dan, and like yeah. coming out with a podcast six months of sobriety. That was a that was a risky move. And guess what? If I drink. I'm going to come out and say it, and it's not a big right. deal. Right. You said that from the get-go. I actually started your podcast early on because it kind of followed my sobriety dates a little bit. So I, I, I'm not up to the most recent ones. I'm actually still on, like, episode 50 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not a big deal. And you mentioned the support you get. Um, the support you're not going to get is when you don't have the conversations because they don't know to give you the support. So simply right. having those conversations, burning the ships, is the best way to do it, at least that yeah. I've learned so far. And another, another cool thing that you mentioned earlier, to simplify this whole process, you would say ah, you know, to your wife, you'd say, ah, oh, you know what, I kind of want to drink right now, this sucks. And then your wife, because you opened up about it, you, you verbalized it, she's like, you know what, Dan, you're doing awesome. How can I help? I'm not going to drink right. with you. Like, it doesn't have to be that complicated, and you, and you made it right. through. Yeah, totally. No, that's the, the accountability is huge, and just if you're having feelings, just saying that. Yeah, once that door is open, you can just say, oh, this is hard right now. I had a rough day. This is the time that I usually be drinking a beer. It's Friday night. I miss having a beer. It's Friday, you know? And so we just talk it out. The feelings, you know, it, it calms down and it goes away and boom, you're on to the next thing. And that next morning is always just like, gosh, I still love waking up in the morning. So I, I hate mornings. Uh, but five minutes into the morning, I'm just so happy that I feel great on myself, you know, all of that. And that just didn't happen. Even with a couple beers, you still feel a little tired, a little headache, a little groggy and so i'm just loving these mornings and listeners part of cravings so the first 72 hours week two weeks depending how dependent your body was on alcohol uh your body is actually craving the drug alcohol but after that cravings are a craving to be the old self and the body will create chemicals to say hey paul hey dan we don't know about this new unknown lifestyle and the body will, will create chemicals to make you feel uncomfortable to pull you back into that and the further you go away from alcohol the less cravings you have and have you had cravings to go back to the old dan and you know what was it like have they dissipated throughout time definitely dissipated you know now it's just a, a quick thought um like oh man i'm sitting by a fire it'd be nice to have a beer and then i just like oh then it goes away you know i grab a lacroix or something like that uh, something to, to have in my hand and that helps um at first the cravings were pretty bad though i just had to find ways to get through i would read i'd go on a run i'd express it to my wife i would just do just about anything to kind of just let it pass and then you know the more i read was like you know, let those feelings happen, you know, just accept it. I'm feeling a craving. I can get through this. I can push, I can push through this and it's going to go away. It's going to subside. Whereas before I was just feeling kind of weak and I would just give in, you know, and plus my, you know, like when I drank and kind of fell off after two weeks, I'm like, I don't want to go back to that. You know, I don't want to drink. And then, you know, also I'm regretting this. So that kind of helped me to realize this is what I want. And it gave me that power to actually just push through those cravings and realize that I can, I can handle it. And with a year away from alcohol, how has the depression been? 
You know, it's been, sorry to say depression's great. It's been really good. Um, <laughs> the, the depression has definitely subsided. I think I'm going to go revisit with my doctor about my, um, I'm still on some medication for it. And I just, I don't know if, you know, I'm kind of ignorant in this field of, is it a lifetime thing? Do I always take this or can I eventually get off it? My fear now, if I was fearing to get on it, now I'm fearing to get off it. Like, am I going to go back and have like some kind of hole or gap in my, you know, in my life or in my mental well-being? So the depression's been good. I'm, like I said, I'm going to revisit with my doctor and just kind of take a look at what I need um, and talk to him. And I'll be very honest again with everything. But yeah, it's I found joy in life again, for sure. I enjoy just, you know, I could just sit outside and look at the sun. I can be with my family. The things that I lost joy in before are definitely back. Work got so much better. I enjoyed my students. And I mean, it was just this whole year was just an epic journey. And it's almost like I could just call it rediscovering joy could be the name wow. of the year. And with the antidepressants, uh, I, I wanted to come off them when I first got sober. But we want to take this slow. And right. year one, I was like, well, you know, and I, I talked with my doctors like, yeah, I don't think it's the right time. Um, I eventually did come off them and I came off them at, a, at an, a super slow rate. And this is different for everybody. I read a book called The Anatomy of an Epidemic by Robert Whitaker, pretty intense read about the efficacy of the medicines, et cetera. But there might come a time when it's time to come off. If, if that time does come, I go slow and you can always go back on them. Um, yeah, that's good. but yeah, that's, that's something I wouldn't really put too much thought into I mean, yeah, I mean they, it's, they can be hard to come off but you'll know when the time's right if the time's right 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 yeah and so what's on your bucket list dan with a year of sobriety what's next um you know like next summer we're going to finish up the superior hiking trail um so that's something to look forward to i'm a pretty avid runner so i think i'm going to try to squeak in like a half marathon do some training with that and then I'm just going to continue this journey. It's been so good so far that I'd like to just see where it takes me. Uh, keep climbing that mountain, as you said, because uh, there is no uh, there's no peak, which is, which is awesome. And so I'm just going to continue listening, continue talking to the people that I've been talking to. This podcast is so cool because now I can kind of share a little bit. And maybe it helps someone like me who is just one of those people who just drank, you know, often but never enough to be like, oh my gosh, this is a problem. Like I've just got arrested, you know, something like that. So hopefully I can help someone who's kind of in my boat to maybe stop and realize that there's more to life uh, than, than just drinking a bunch of beers every night to try to relax and causing yourself more problems than it's worth. Dan, we're about 31 minutes into the interview segment of this podcast, and there's something we haven't heard yet. We haven't heard AA we haven't heard 12 steps sponsor smart recovery. So you're telling me, Dan, you made it a year without alcohol and you didn't go to AA. That's true. Yeah, no, I, I never put it out of my mind. Like it wasn't off the table. It was not a refusal thing. I looked up when meetings were, I found out, you know, what times would be and stuff like that. So during the first couple of weeks, it was definitely like, uh, if I can't handle this, I'm going there. So I definitely not opposed to AA. I did, you know, enough research to know that I needed accountability. I needed something. And you talked about just having some kind of program there. And so I just kind of found my own program that seemed to work for me. So yeah, I did it without AA, but I would definitely, if I felt the need um, to have more support, I would definitely reach out. My dad was an alcoholic and went to AA. And so I knew about AA. 
Um, I just never never got to to that as, as part of my program. But definitely the door is open. I'd be I'd have no problem going. <laughs> but you did the research of when meetings are just in case things got squirrely. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, um, just in case. I'm, I'm quite a planner. <laughs> yeah, and I know some listeners, I know many listeners will find it refreshing to hear that it is possible to do this journey without going to AA. And I'm a firm believer it's possible to do this without AA. In fact, I've interviewed probably 100 people who've done it without AA. It was a part of my story. It's not a part of yours. There's no right or wrong way to do this. What have you learned about yourself along the way? I've learned a lot about my depression. I've learned a lot about how my brain works. I've learned a lot about how strong I can be um, when I set my mind to things. Um, I can really achieve them. I've learned a lot about the people in my life and how they are love me for who I am and that I'm capable of being loved. I've learned that I've got an awesome family and support system. I've got a good life. I've learned a lot through through all of this. It's just an ama- been an amazing journey, and um, I'm excited to keep doing it. And Dan, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could oh, answer here this. we go. Yeah. You ready to do it? Yeah, I'm excited. All righty. Number one, what is a light bulb moment you've had on this journey? My light bulb moment was that I needed to fail, you know, a few times before I actually um, was able to be successful with it. You know, that a failure, and I always tell my students this, you know, it's okay to fail. It's part of the learning process. And so I had to kind of eat my own words and be like, all right, so failing is important. I needed to fail in order to truly be successful. And like you said about relapse, if I fail for some reason along the way, I got to know that that's not it. I can go back and, and reset and, and, and get back on track. What is a gift that a life without alcohol has provided you? Oh, my gosh. Well, the biggest gift is I'd have to say time without alcohol. I mean, I've got so much more time. The cool thing on your app that you have is like the productivity hours gains that's That's been one of my favorite things is like 1110 productivity hours which is like 27 work days i think i calculated it out to be 27 eight hour work days and so productivity for you can set it how you want i set it like as like a four hours of where i'd be buzzed or drinking every night yeah so that's four hours of time that i have to like right now i'm taking some classes or reading a book or being with my kids like 100 percent being there not being buzzed and being there you know so like i think time has been the biggest gift that i've gained and what's your favorite alcohol-free drink well, my beer fridge has now become a sparkling water fridge. So like I've got just about every flavor that you can imagine in there. So what used to be craft beer is now all uh, specialty uh, um, sparkling waters. And I used to hate sparkling water. Now I love them. But there are specialty sparkling waters now. Oh, yeah. It's you awesome. Get the high-end stuff. Yeah, it's almost like the same because that was like one of my favorite things on a Friday was going to buy like a new beer that I'd never had before. And now it's like, let's get a new flavor of LaCroix or whatever it yeah. might be. I went to World Market the other day and they're imported sparkling lemonades from France. Like how Woo! cool is that? Yeah, man, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> But what, what, what is your go-to uh, sparkling water? You know, I, I keep it pretty cl- – I think I like the uh, the Cran Apple, uh, LaCroix Cran Apple. If I go to a bar, you turn me on to soda with cranberry and a lime. Yeah, I did so that good. at our most recent uh, – we had a staff gathering, and so that's what I drank all night. So yeah. That's my go-to. I'm kind of on a buble kick right now. I love that stuff. You had it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They got lots of different flavors of that one, too. Yeah. Oh, there's a black cherry one, too, that I'm into. I can't even remember the brand. Waterloo, maybe? Waterloo, black oh, cherry. Oh, they're good, too. Yeah, that's my jam. Dan, what are some of your favorite resources? 
My favorite resources, um, I definitely have to say Recovery Elevator because they, uh, you know, your, your podcast has helped so much just hearing the other stories, getting advice, the beginning of the podcast where you go into some research sometimes and you talk about, you know, your journey and then hearing other people's story and hearing those similarities between their story and mine. And plus my friends and my family, my family has been awesome, my kids and my wife and my, my two close buddies that have really supported me through this whole thing. They're, they're my resources. They, they're the people I go to. And so the healing process is going to be a more collaborative effort. You mentioned your friend who drinks and your friend who doesn't drink. And this is where recovery, this is where an alcohol-free life, the healing journey is going in the future. It's a concert effort with people who don't drink and people who do drink. The days of being separated, isolated in a church basement, long gone, adios, we're all moving forward together. And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners, Dan? I guess it would be the, the thing that I realize is there's so much freedom once you've given up alcohol. I've got more time. I've got more money. I feel better. And I found that joy in my life again. So, I mean, if you feel like you've got a problem, you maybe do. Um, and just to maybe get on board, find someone that you can confide in, burn those ships, as you said, and just get that ball rolling. Because once you take the courage to do that, it, it all kind of snowballs and it gets better and better. And then that freedom just starts to show up in your life. And before we depart, give listeners your own customized, you might have a drinking problem if line. <laughs> all right, well, this is a true story back in college. This is my then girlfriend, now wife. Um, she stayed with me. God bless her. You might be an alcoholic if you have a fight with your girlfriend, decide to move out and realize that you have only packed a camera and a swimsuit. <laughs> that works. I love it, Dan. <laughs> Man, nice job on hitting a year away from alcohol. That's incredible. I've loved this conversation. Nice job. Thank you. Thank you. As we close today, all I want to say is I love you guys, and I want you to accept the love and tell yourself the same thing. Give yourself permission to have fun and love yourself while you transition into a butterfly because that's kind of what's happening right now. I'm wishing you all the butterflies. Recovery Elevator, it all starts from the inside out. I love you guys. <laughs>